Thanks to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Shen. It's Tuesday, October 30th. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show Senior Motley Fool contributor Asit Sharma, who's calling into the Fool HQ studio via Skype. Hey, Asit, thanks for hopping on. Uh, thanks a lot, Vince. It's great to be uh, back. And uh, w- listeners, hello. <laughs> Been a while. Yeah, last time we chatted, uh, you were getting ready for a pretty big trip abroad. How was it? It was awesome. So I went to uh, Germany to settle my oldest son into a university there. He's going to engineering school. And I was in Hessen State, um, which is a really prosperous state. Uh, so it's beautiful place to see. And I was, of course, intrigued by uh, the vibrancy of, of the German manufacturing that I saw in that area. So if we had time today, I would tell you all about it in detail. But alas, we have to move on. But thanks for asking. It was it was a lot of fun. And I well, ended up going to Did you just a end up having a chance to go to Spain like we talked about? I never made it. I the, the thing I did do was to take an overnight train to Berlin on my last day because I'd never seen Berlin. So I got to bop around there in the morning of my last day, which was really awesome. But uh, I have to keep Spain, uh, unfortunately, at the top of my bucket list. Got to knock it off soon. <laughs> awesome. Sounds like a really fun trip. Um, as it turns out, since the last time that you were on Industry Focus with me, um, it was the beginning of October. And it was actually right before the broad markets began their recent slide. The S&P 500 is down almost 10%, NASDAQ even more than that. So out of the 21 trading days in October so far, S&P 500's closed down for 16 of them, and we're officially in negative territory for 2018 year-to-date. And these can be pretty scary times for investors. Um, even I've made the mistake recently of making my portfolio very easily accessible on my phone through a new app. So I'm checking <laughs> checking it several times per day, and I'm wincing at all of the red that I'm seeing. So we're going to take a couple <laughs> minutes here to talk about the recent volatility and just to better understand what's going on, uh, what to do next. So Asif Philson, what's been driving uh, the activity in the markets recently? Yeah, Vince, there's a host of factors. Um, one that I'm sure listeners you've heard about on the news are interest rates, which can over time be one of the single biggest factors affecting markets. Both short and long-term rates are on the rise. Um, the Federal Reserve is tightening uh, the Fed's fund, Fed funds rate, and that's the rate that um, is preferred rate, a short-term rate that banks and other entities charge each other uh, for overnight lending. It's tied to what's called the Fed, the, the overnight rate. Um, and also, the U.S. is paying slightly more on its debt uh, than it has in recent years. Uh, the 30-year bond has ticked up to over 3%, um, really in under a year's time. Uh, from trading as low as under 2% last year. And both of these have implications for corporations. Of course, the Federal Reserve wants to tighten rates to um, cool a very strong economy. And those long-term rates have implications for companies which use a lot of debt in the marketplace for um, their investment activities and also to return capital to shareholders. Um, And I have just a few others that I wanted to briefly touch on as well. There's something that maybe is under the radar for many investors, and that's what I call the lapping of the U.S. tax reform. If you remember, we had tax legislation which lowered corporate rates a year ago, and 
many companies got a boost in earnings because they had more cash, less of a tax expense. Now, uh, a year has gone by, and by the next quarter, most companies will have shown a year's worth of that benefit. So, Wall Street analysts, institutional investors, and savvy retail investors are starting to discount that effect. Um, sort of, you know, what have you shown me lately? So, this is interpreted by some as uh, a type of effect that would last many years. I think it's more short-term in nature. You have to invest those earnings to get the benefit. Um, we've had a few lackluster corporate profits. It's earnings season. I know 3M disappointed from sort of the manufacturing side. Amazon was a notable miss, which has been a huge market leader for many years. Um, and I also wanted to touch on, really briefly, two more factors. One is a declining risk appetite. And what that essentially means is when markets get volatile and scary, and both Vince and I are checking our portfolios many times in a day, investors have traditionally moved money out of the stock market and into safer or so-called safer assets like bonds. We've seen less of that since the Great Recession. Uh, we've seen investors stick with the stock market uh, and in the periodic sell-offs that we've had. We really haven't had deep corrections. But I think this year, at least what I've seen, is, is something different. Notably, this summer, when we had one of the temporary sell-offs, uh, I saw a lot of money rotating from broad-based instruments like mutual funds and ETFs and into bonds. I think we'll see more of that ahead. And then just finally, um, everyone is familiar with the tariffs and sort of the havoc that that's wreaking across industries, both in the form of real um, so-called taxes that companies have to pay um, due to imposition of tariffs, but also just rising commodity costs because there's so much uncertainty over how we'll resolve our trade disputes with China and other countries, even allies like Canada's we've seen recently. And I think that's causing investors to rethink their very optimistic long-term valuation theses on the stock market. We've been able to sort of whistle past the graveyard and pay for higher-valued uh, stocks for the last several years, but the the trade wars are, are putting a kink into that logic. And so, for all these factors, I think the market, it certainly feels more vulnerable than it has in many years, and I think we may be poised for some more downturn movement. Um, what are your thoughts on what's going to come up over the next few months, Vince? Well, I'll just say, and thank you for that awesome overview of these different variables that are at play here. Um, you know, this time of year, especially uh, for the consumer and retail sector, a major theme is always the outlook for the holiday quarter as well. You know, you brought up Amazon, and I think a big reason why they've been pummeled is for their modest guidance for that season. But overall, in terms of takeaways from what's going on right now, you have all these macro level forces, like what you mentioned, uh, the trade disputes, rising interest rates, You know, also even things like the upcoming midterm elections. These are all coming into play, but investors should not panic. Um, it might feel like you need to do something, anything right now during these more uncertain uh, periods in the market, but you have to keep your eye on the ball. And as foolish investors, that ball should hopefully be far enough out on the horizon that you're cautious right now, but not too, too fearful. Because if anything, uh, these are uh, the moments to be really curious. One of my favorite pieces of advice often heard around Foolish Q is to have a watch list of stocks ready for exactly these moments when 
a lot of times good companies go on sale. So even if you're not in a position though to go on offense necessarily, um, looking for companies to pick up while they're uh, potentially at a discount, defensive plays are not the same thing as hitting the sell button. So defense might mean reevaluating a portfolio to make sure you're properly diversified or getting that stock watch list ready for the next bout of volatility or checking in on other parts of your personal finances that you've been neglecting. So for example, how's your budget looking these days? So overall, definitely, again, not the time to panic um, and revert essentially to too much of a short-term focus. But I'm curious, on your end, Asit, you know, we've been watching our portfolios maybe a little more carefully the past couple of weeks, but have you taken any action as a result of all of the activity and the volatility this past month? Not really. I really believe in holding for the long-term, identifying a lot of great companies. Some of them aren't going to work out over time. Some will do very well. So for me, the market really has to um, take a big dive before I commit what little cash I have <laughs> on the sidelines into the market. But look at it this way. That's an action in and of itself. If you have focused all along on quality, or maybe you haven't so much, but are looking at quality names now, just holding tight for what your gut and your intellect tells you, hey, this this seems like the right time to buy a great stock. That in itself is an action. So if you can convince yourself that you're being active by holding back from maybe capitulating and selling just because of a little fear, I, I think that serves you well. And I'll tell you, Vince, you gave such a great rundown. I rarely listen to our podcast the day after we air, but I'm going to go back and listen so I can take notes on what you just said on how to, to look at your portfolio. That, that, was very, that was great advice. There you go. So let's move <laughs> on to the main part of our discussion today. So late last week, I was actually running screens, looking at some of the biggest movers in the past month, uh, just because of all the activity recently. So Grubhub actually caught my eye. Its shares are down 40% in October. But even after those losses, the stock is still up about 15% in 2018. We haven't covered Grubhub on Industry Focus in a very long time. I was looking back at my notes. I think it's been two years maybe a little bit more than that since we've talked about the company. So we're going to check in on them and some of the latest uh, news from this kind of niche e-commerce company. So Grubhub, ticker GRUB, they're an online platform for restaurant takeout and delivery orders. The largest player in the space, they have 95,000 restaurants in their network, uh, 180 markets covered. That includes restaurants in over 1,600 cities. So as a consumer, the attraction, I think, of Grubhub and a platform like this is, of course, to have hundreds or maybe even thousands of restaurants that you can search through and order from a uh, for order from in a single website or mobile app. And then for restaurants, there's no upfront fees or costs to join Grubhub. Instead, the company will collect a percentage commission of each order that's placed through the platform. And then Grubhub also offers some additional services. For example, in some instances, they will handle the deliveries for a restaurant at an additional cost. Um, so Asset, the company reported their third quarter results last week on October 25th. Definitely a catalyst for Rocky Trading, but the stock has actually been sliding pretty consistently all month. I'm curious what your take is on you know the recent trading and just the latest news from the company. Yeah, sure. So the company had a great third quarter. Revenues were uh, $247 million. They were up 52% year over year. Um, net income increased uh, 75% year over year. Really on so many metrics, uh, for example, their active diners, they blew it out of, of the, the ballpark. Active diners were up 67% to $16.4 every year. Um, 
the, the average daily, what they call grubs or, or deliveries were up 37% year over year. So we had all these great numbers, but um, nonetheless, the stock started to slide. And I guess before we delve um, very deeply into maybe the mechanics of why it fell, I want to put into context what, what we've just discussed. The market has been soft, and I call this the Icarus syndrome. Um, the companies which fly the highest, closest to the sun, when that market activity heats up, but not in a good way, they tend to be the first ones to fall. And I'll note that um, this company, which has really dominated the delivery space and now is facing some competition from the likes of Uber Eats and some other companies, uh, they've enjoyed a lot of love from Wall Street and retail investors. Uh, it's been a high flyer. The one-year forward P.E. ratio that uh, Grubhub enjoyed as recently as six weeks ago was 72 times those forward earnings. So that's a really stretched valuation. And it's down in a matter of six weeks to about 41 times those earnings. So maybe more reasonably priced now. But I just want to kick this off by saying, hey, part of this is market context. Part of this is the market readjusting what it thinks of some Great companies, not necessarily bad companies, great companies which have been high flyers. Yeah, I think it's good context to have. Um, and some of those really strong growth figures that you mentioned, um, they've been getting a little bit extra juice from the many acquisitions that the company has closed since 2017. Um, Grubhub has scooped up a lot of smaller ordering delivery platforms like Level Up, E24, uh, that was previously a part of Yelp. But still, you know, this double digit growth. That we're seeing across the board, uh, you mentioned revenue up 52%, net income up over 70% as of the latest report, and then some of those important metrics like active diners, the daily average grubs, but also their gross food sales. So that's the total value of orders placed through the platform. This includes not only food and beverage, but also stuff like taxes, uh, delivery fees too. Gross food sales hit $1.2 billion last quarter. And overall, this is in a period uh, for that third quarter report this is a period of the year that's typically slower for the company. Its busiest months, they say, uh, tend to be in September to April. So full year revenue for 2018 is actually expected to clear $1 billion for the first time. So in my eyes, um, there's a lot to like in the picture painted by this growth, by those numbers in the report. But in the next part of our discussion, we'll talk about some of the competitive pressure that has also been a big part of the Grubhub narrative in 2018. Support for this podcast and the following message come from NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Because every company will hit some speed bumps as they grow. So whether you're updating manual processes in your business, replacing inefficient legacy systems, or learning to better manage your cash flow, you need software that can adapt like your business does as it scales, not some one-size-fits-all offering. And right now, NetSuite is offering amazing insights on how to overcome any of the obstacles that have been holding you back, and they're doing it for free. You can learn how to attract new customers, grow your profits, manage your expenses, and more, all to unleash the full potential of your business with the help of the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth. Thousands of the best-known brands and fastest-growing companies already use NetSuite to manage their businesses. And because NetSuite is over 10 times the size of its closest competitor, you'll have more than 10 times the resources working for you. The power of the world's most popular cloud management system can be yours, and it's more affordable than you think. Save time and money by managing sales, finance, accounting, and HR instantly right from your desk or phone by going to netsuite.com fool. And don't forget, you can check out the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com fool. 
So again, going back to Grubhub, you know, growth and investments have been accelerating for the company. Um, and something else that I've seen uh, as a concern taking hold uh, and affecting the Grubhub story this year is also based around competition and a few other factors that we'll get to. So based on a few different sources, uh, Grubhub's share of the delivery market is about 35 to 40%. That puts it in the number one position. But Uber Eats and DoorDash are growing very quickly, uh, kind of nipping at the company's heels, and they themselves now control pretty substantial portions of this uh, food plat, uh, this delivery platform market. Uh, Uber Eats is expanding very quickly, uh, so that their delivery service will reach 70% of the U.S. this year. Um, it's been a big push for the company. I'm just curious, what are your thoughts here in terms of uh, kind of this upstart competition? from these uh, smaller entrants and how uh, that might impact growth up going forward. Management talked a lot about, for example, their marketing in the second half of the year in the fourth quarter, uh, as they're seeing a lot of momentum in that growth. Do you think that's also part of this kind of competitive push that they're seeing uh, from these rivals? I think it is, Vince. Um, the CEO, Matthew Maloney, gave a really interesting analogy in the company's most recent conference call uh, which sort of indicated management's perspective that competition really isn't hurting us. There's enough for everyone here because the market is very new. And he basically pointed to the effect that Starbucks had uh, as it went into second-tier cities and really opened up a coffee market so that other entrants could come in and sell coffee. Independent coffee houses could also flourish. So Starbucks' expansion was, for a time, it was good for everybody. And the company itself really wasn't hurt by new competition. Uh, it just brought more people into this whole coffee loop. And the same thing is, is yes, it's evident in the delivery market as ordering goes like offline uh, to online through your mobile device. Uh, it slowly spreads. And for the time being, I think management is probably correct to say that they are not adversely threatened by competition. However, um, it's one of the things that gave analysts a little bit of a jolt on, on this last earnings report and, and during the call was the fact that um, Grubhub said, hey, we're going to spend more on marketing. Um, we're going to actually ratchet it up in the fourth quarter. And um, investors, if you're looking for that concrete, uh, one of the concrete telltale signs of why the stock took a dive, when the company released its third quarter earnings uh, after giving such a rosy picture of the past three months, um, it revised its fourth quarter EBITDA earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization um, down from a range of 40 to 50 million, uh, which was about 25 million below what it had guided previously in the year. Um, so they broke down that change in to the following um, buckets. Basically, the company is going to spend 10 to $20 million in new marketing in the fourth quarter. It's going to spend $10 million to enter uh, new delivery markets. And it's going to spend 2 to $3 million in investment in a recent acquisition uh, called Level Up, which provides a lot of great technology for ordering. What was interesting during the call is that management really didn't commit to how much of that 10 to $20 million in extra marketing it would spend. Basically, management's take was business is so great and we are converting so many customers in new markets that we'll be opportunistic. Uh, it may be $10 million that we spend. Um, if opportunities 
present themselves as we're expanding uh, through our new partnership with Yum Brands, which we'll get to in a moment, we might spend $20 million. And that uncertainty unnerved investors because the alternate story that you could tack on is that, well, maybe uh, Grubhub is having to spend more promotionally because it is seeing competition from Uber Eats and DoorDash. And Vince, I was curious on your perspective on that sort of waffling on how much they'd spend in this aggressive marketing push. Do you think it's competition-based or do you take management's word that, oh, they're just doing so well um, and having such a great increase in average revenue per customer that this is the time to invest? Yeah. Well, during the earnings call, I feel like management was really trying to hammer home the point that the increased sales spend uh, that they've been pushing, uh, and keep in mind here, uh, sales and marketing, it's a pretty big part of the company's income statement. It's at uh, the past two years, I think it was around 22% of revenue. But they really hammered home the point that this sales and marketing spend, um, they're seeing such strong results in terms of the cost per acquisition, and then also how that compares to, uh, for example, the lifetime value of the customers that they're signing on, that as a result of that, they are they feel comfortable increasing the spending and they think it's a good investment for them and they had some numbers to support that idea again the third quarter typically a slower period but they added 800,000 active users in the quarter uh, making it the biggest quarter of sequential active diner additions in the company's history so there's something there i think in terms of the momentum and the strength and the rationale for that spending um the challenge, I think, on the competition end, a delivery is definitely a point of growth and a area that the company really wants to expand. Um, Grubhub is accelerating its expansion plans for delivery to more than 200 new markets in 2018. So they'll hit about 300 total. And a lot of that expansion is concentrated in the second half of the year. So Grubhub has actually seen growth in its revenue margin as a percentage of gross food sales. So if you take uh, their top line number and divide it by their total gross food sales metric that I mentioned earlier, so in 2015, for example, you know revenue was 15.4% of gross food sales on the platform. That number topped 20% in the most recent quarter. It's becoming a, a bigger and bigger revenue stream for the company with an annual run rate uh, for deliveries of $1.6 billion because of this push. And a big part of that, the momentum they're seeing, the drive there, is also from this partnership with Young Brands that, that I think you mentioned uh, not too long ago. So let's get into that part uh, of the story because the growing delivery business, uh, adding to the kind of opportunities the company has, a big part of that is the deliveries that they're doing for Taco Bell and KFC. What's the story there? Yeah, absolutely. So the company signed an agreement with uh, Yum Brands in February uh, to basically assist the thousands of KFC um, and Taco Bell locations across the U.S. enter their system. Um, and this came with a $200 million investment. Um, that Young Brands undertook into Grub to sort of provide them some capital to do this push. Uh, and I think of this as maybe the law of unintended consequences. So as a result, Vince just mentioned, the company is going to be in nearly 300 different markets by the end of this year. So the company began this year with the goal of hitting about 100 new markets. And after they signed this deal, it became 200 markets and they had 80 previously. So if 
you want to peel back this onion a little bit, these markets are de defined as CBSAs, or core-based statistical areas. And I know this because an analyst asked on the recent conference call, okay, these markets, give us some clarity on what these markets are. So um, management said, well, they're, they're CBSAs. And that's a statistical area, metropolitan area, that can be as small as 10,000 people and above. But when you reach this number of 280 um, areas within the U.S., you're covering most of the United States. And if you just think about the enormous task of uh, working through all of Yum Brand's thousands and thousands of outlets in the U.S., you can understand how you'd get coverage very quickly. Um, and what this has done is, I'd like to go back to Starbucks as a, as a great analogy. What, what this has done is it's basically put the company's footprint um, sort of in hyperdrive. When Starbucks was developing, uh, it took years to really wend its way across the United States. Those investors um, who are listening who invest in or follow Dunkin' Donuts know that it's slowly been creeping westward. Well, it takes very little capital for Uber Eats to go into an area. Basically, their biggest expense is just signing up drivers and making sure that they have enough drivers to hit a saturation or equilibrium point where they can make money. Um, and I think this admission on management's part that, look, this, this partnership has been great for us because it's really put us in this hyperdrive and, and extended our footprint. I think that's causing some institutional investors to rethink the valuation because this part of growth now is going to be a little bit harder. Once you've gone into almost every geographical area that, that you could potentially enter, well, then you've got to go ahead and convert customers. Um, you have to fend off the competition that inevitably is going to come now that you've set up shop. And so to me, this is sort of the unintended consequence of, of a pretty great deal for Grubhub. And I should say that over the long term, this really only means good things for the company. Um, besides maybe um, a partnership with McDonald's, which uh, Grubhub probably won't get because Uber Eats has teamed up with McDonald's. Uh, Yum Brands is, um, you can ask for a, a bigger or better partner. And they've got actually thousands of different restaurant partners. This is the most prominent one. So to me, I think it's a blessing and also a little bit of a curse, this rapid expansion. All right. So we have a couple more minutes here. Um, I want to touch on maybe two more things before we wrap up. One thing as an investor to keep in mind with all of these growth opportunities um, and the strong numbers that we've seen the company deliver, keep in mind that operational expenses are going up quickly as well uh, because of the increase in Grubhub delivered orders and the, the expansion of that service that they're offering to their restaurant partners. That is going to require more input from the company, essentially, in terms of infrastructure build out, hiring drivers into these markets where they go to. And management tried to make the case during the recent call because of this accelerated delivery expansion, saying that these initial phases when they first enter markets are the most costly, and then eventually they're able to become uh, make those operations more efficient and and improve the profitability there as the business scales, of course. And then all, something else I also want to mention in terms of other opportunities as Grubhub is really kind of flooding through its U.S. market, they're offering their restaurant partners 
additional services, things like website templates, um, integrated point of sale systems. Um, they'll offer more prominent positioning on their platform, for example, for a higher commission. And then also even some loyalty and payment programs through a recent acquisition. So the strategy here, of course, is to create a sticky enough ecosystem and enough scale as the biggest online ordering and delivery platform that restaurants will naturally flock to Grubhub if they want to essentially up their digital delivery game. And the push here from management, I think, shows a long-term mindset and view that's good to see because these are great opportunities for the company to really become an essential part of you know, a local restaurant's operations and, and take out business apparatus, essentially. Um, any final thoughts from you, Asit, before we wrap up? Yeah, I love what you just spoke about, Vince, because in the near term, they're going to acquire more operating expense uh, to build out this infrastructure. But over the long term, the lifetime value of the customer increases. And what you've pointed out is something, a nuance that management is very aware of, that a restaurant looks at an Uber Eats or, or DoorDash um, or Grubhub as a way to more revenue, but it also perceives it as sort of a toll on its PL statement because you have to pay that commission for the delivery. And I think that Grubhub is maybe more focused in on its com- versus its competitors on becoming a sort of enterprise client for a restaurant to help it succeed in other parts of the profit and loss statement, which are technology-based, such as Vince mentioned, these platforms which do draw in customers and help repeat business thrive, uh, then it will be seen over the long term as less of sort of this toll booth type company and more of a partner to help, maybe a one-stop shop to help a smaller chain, for example, have the same type of outward-facing infrastructure that a larger company might. That's one thing that I really like about Grubhub. And one reason I think that maybe if these multiples fall a little further, say if the market continues to be weak. Uh, there's maybe even at these levels a little bit of a, of a buying opportunity emerging for those who want to buy Grubhub and hold it for several years. Yeah. And again, this I think is a good example of an instance where in the beginning of the show, we've talked about the volatility and the downturn in the markets. But you also have these opportunities uh, in these moments to, like I did, run a screen or do, or kind of just do a little bit extra due diligence on companies maybe you've been watching, start building a stock list for a company like this that we haven't talked about in some time, revisit the business and find a gem like this one where I think um, the long-term opportunity for Grubhub is pretty solid and it's great to, to find companies like this in these moments. Thanks a lot, Asif, for joining us today. I appreciate it. And Vince, this episode has made me hungry. I'm getting ready to order some food after we sign off. Awesome. Fools, as always, thank you for listening. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show. The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Hold on.